Are we on? Yes. yes. Excellent. Thank you. That's the first hurdle overcome. <laughs> um, it's so great to be with you at the evening service. It's actually been ages since I was last at an evening meeting. I think it must be about six months ago, and it was certainly before uh, Chris and B were, were leading. So um, it's just really exciting to be here and to see what God's doing among you. And uh, I pray that God will do some more stuff this evening as we open up his word. Um, so this evening, we're going to continue uh, in our new series that started last week. And it's a new series for uh, this year, 2017. And as you can see, it's called The Dawn of a Kingdom. And uh, each week, we're going to be looking at the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament, which concerns um, the people of Israel's desire for a king and God's sovereignty during that particular period of Israel's history. Um, for those of you who were here last week, uh, we had Rick speak, and he took us through the opening verses of the first chapter of 1 Samuel. And this week, we're mainly going to be looking at the last eight verses in that chapter. However, if we're to have any hope at all in understanding that, we've kind of got to recap and look back on what happened in the first section uh, to remind ourselves. So if you have a Bible, now's the time to bring it out. If you don't, don't worry. The words are hopefully going to come up on the screen. And I'm going to read uh, from the right from the start of 1 Samuel. So 1 Samuel starting at verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramathaim, Zaphaim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, son of Eliu, son of Tohu, son of Zuf, who was an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And it went on year by year. And her, rival used to provo sorry, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? And why do you not eat? And why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they'd eaten and drunk, in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me, 
and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved, and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you've made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son. And she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And then moving on to the passage we're actually going to look at this evening. The man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. For she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she'd weaned him, she took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Then they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord, for this child I prayed. And the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And he worshipped the Lord there. So, let's have a quick recap of the events of the first part of the chapter. It's about 1050, about 1050 BC. Israel is still a relatively young nation and for the past 300 years or so has been governed by a series of leaders called judges. And you can read all about that period when the judges were leading Israel in the book of Judges. Basically, God gave Israel these leaders, and most of them, I'm afraid, were pretty awful. Most of them strayed 
from God's plans. And as a result, at the end of this period, the book of Judges says this. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. In other words, there was pretty much anarchy. Anarchy and lawlessness. Because anarchy is what you get when everyone does what they think is right. Society breaks down, and God in people's minds is left out of the picture. But as we'll see, and as the book of 1 Samuel will show, God is certainly not left out of the picture at all. He's in fact sovereign. He's in control and he's able to turn around or, to use biblical language, redeem the situation for his purposes and for his glory. So, in the middle of this historical context of anarchy, we're introduced to a man called Elkanah. He has two wives called Hannah and Peninnah. Peninnah has children, but Hannah is childless and cannot have any children. Now, Elkanah is a godly man, and every year he goes up to the temple in Shiloh to make an annual sacrifice to God. And Elkanah loves Hannah, despite the fact that she's not been able to give him any sons or daughters. And he tries to comfort her in her unhappiness. His other wife, Peninnah, however, is a thorn in Hannah's side. She gives Hannah a hard time, and she tries to provoke her because of her inability to bear children. And during the annual uh, family pilgrimage to Shiloh, Hannah decides to go to the temple, and there she prays silently to God that he would give her a son. And she says that if he grants her her desire, she'll give him to the Lord for the rest of his life, and she promises that no razor will touch his head. Eli, the chief priest at the temple, sees Hannah but thinks she's drunk because she's silently moving her lips but not saying anything, and possibly because she was swaying as she was praying. And because he can't hear this, he, rather goes, up, he goes up to her and rather unhelpfully gives her some advice on cutting down on her drinking. Hannah explains she's not drunk at all, but she's greatly distressed. And she's been praying and pouring out her soul to God. Eli says to her, go in peace and may God grant you your petition to him. So Hannah leaves the temple with faith, happier that she feels God has heard her and is going to answer her prayer. The family return to their home where in due course, Hannah becomes pregnant. She gives birth to a son whom she calls Samuel, which sounds a bit like the Hebrew word for asked for, because as Hannah says, she asked for him from the Lord. So that's recapping all the events that are leading up to the passage we're going to look at this week. And we're going to particularly focus on verses 21 to 28, which in essence describe Hannah's response to 
God's grace to her. Hannah's response to God's blessing and her prayers being answered. But if we're going to understand Hannah's response, we've actually got to also understand the vow that she makes earlier in verse 11, when she says this, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head. Now, at first, when you read that, it might seem a rather strange and a bit of a rash promise that she's making to God. You might even think that Hannah's bargaining with God, trying to manipulate the situation, trying to twist God's arm in the form of, If you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. But actually, that's to completely misunderstand Hannah's heart. Hannah's prayer reflects her heart. And particularly, it reflects her knowledge of what God has done for the people of Israel in the past. And that comes out in the language that she uses in this vow. Just as God remembered Israel when the people of Israel were in slavery in Egypt, and just as God looked upon Israel's affliction and brought them out of Egypt, so Hannah is asking God to do for her what God has done in the past and rescue her not from slavery but from childlessness. In the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7, God declares this about Israel. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession. Out of all the peoples who were on the face of the earth, it was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers that the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. So Hannah is acknowledging the fact that ultimately Israel is God's treasured possession. And that all the blessings that we have, all the blessings that Israel have, come from God. They're actually his anyway. And that includes any son that God may choose to give her. Now, at that time in Israel, men or women would occasionally choose to give themselves over to God for a period of time to give themselves over to God's service and become what is termed in the Bible a Nazarite. If you're really interested, you can read all about Nazarites in the book of Numbers, chapter 6. Now, I was thinking about what 
Nazarites are really like, and I tried to think of a sort of modern-day equivalent, and I'm afraid the closest I could come up was with sort of Grace Church interns. <laughs> so just bear with me on this. It doesn't kind of exactly fit, but it's similar. Okay. So a bit like our interns here at Grace Church, these men and women would make a vow to give over a period of their life, say a year, particularly dedicated to God's service. Unlike Grace Church interns, however, as a mark of this dedication, they would agree not to cut their hair, or if they were men, to not cut their beards. They would also not defile themselves by any contact with dead bodies, which for Grace Church interns probably isn't too much of a problem. (laughs) And they would also abstain from drinking wine. Not so sure about that one. (laughs) But in saying... In saying to God, no razor shall touch his head, Hannah is effectively promising to make her son Samuel like a Nazarite. Only instead of a dedicated period of a year or so, she says he's going to be dedicated to God all the days of his life, his whole life. He's not going to cut his hair. So Hannah's response to God's goodness in granting her the desire of her heart and giving her the son she so desperately wished for starts with her promising to give him up for adoption as soon as he's been weaned and is no longer physically dependent on his mother. That's quite a shocking thing. Can you imagine if you're a woman and you've suffered with childlessness for so many years, giving up your child for adoption. It really does demonstrate Hannah's heart. Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And I can't imagine anything more precious to to Hannah than the son that God has given her after so many years of yearning for a child. But Hannah has made a promise to God. And the actions in verses 21 to 28 show that her faith and trust in God is ultimately greater than her desire to be a mother and to see him grow and to raise him. She's ultimately more interested in honoring God than she is in satisfying her maternal needs. So the verses we're looking at this evening start with Hannah waiting. Her husband and the rest of the household set off for the annual family pilgrimage to the temple at Shiloh. But Hannah says to Elkanah that she's going to wait. She's going to wait until Samuel has been weaned or old enough to be given to Eli to be looked after in the temple. And she's going to come along later so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. In other words, she intends to be true to the vow and to bring Samuel to the temple and give him up for adoption by the priest Eli. Elkanah says to his wife that she should do what seems best to her and wait until the child is weaned. And he tells her that what is important is that the Lord establish his word, that the Lord 
establish his word. Now, that's a, a bit of a strange phrase, but it essentially means that the purposes of God are established. Now, quite what the purposes of God are at this moment in our narrative remain to be seen. But we'll see later that Hannah's child, Samuel, is going to have a key role in God's purposes for Israel and in the dawning of the kingdom that we're going to be looking at. Anyway, Hannah remains at the family home in Ramah until Samuel is old enough to be given up for adoption and handed over to Eli to be raised in the temple and given to the Lord for the rest of his days. And then verses 24 to 28 are really a description of Hannah's response to God answering her prayer. Hannah's heart response to God's grace to her as a barren woman. And this evening we're going to look in a little bit more detail at that response. Really as an example of how we can respond to God's goodness and God's grace to us. So what is Hannah's response? How does she respond to this child that God has given her? Well, I think we can see three aspects in Hannah's response. And the first one is thanks, thanksgiving. First of all, she brings a thank offering or a thanksgiving offering to God. Now, if you look in uh, the book of Leviticus, it actually describes how a thanks, thanks offering should be made. It's, it's, it's an offering that's actually a... Um, a voluntary offering, and it consists of bringing unleavened loaves with oil, unleavened wafers, and flour mixed with oil. So it's a fairly modest offering to, to bring as a, thanks, as a thanks offering. But if we look at Hannah's response, we can see that she kind of blows all of that out of the water. Firstly, Instead of some unleavened loaves, she brings a three-year-old bull, a cow, male cow, three years old. And just to put that into perspective, in terms of value, that's probably the equivalent of the value of a family car. Secondly, she brings what the Bible describes as an ephah of flour. And an ephah was a, a large measure, about the size of a baby bath, if you can imagine that about 20-something litres, about as much flour as it's possible for somebody to carry. And thirdly, she brings what's described as a skin of wine and looked up what it meant by a skin of wine, and it's actually something like 22 litres. Now, most of you guys won't be old enough to remember this, but a number of years ago, there used to be something called your duty-free allowance. And when you went overseas, you could bring back a certain amount of alcohol and wine with you without having to pay customs duty on it. Now, I think with Brexit, that might be coming back. Uh, but at the moment, things are rather more relaxed. But I can remember a number of years ago when you had a duty-free allowance. And that allowance, as far as I remember, was eight litres of wine. And, and the government decided that eight litres of wine was sort of enough to justify that that could be a personal, for personal use. Any more than that, you might be seen to be trading. 
This is about three times that amount of wine. So a lot of flour, a lot of wine, and a three-year-old bull Hannah brings as her thanks offering. She's outrageous in her generosity because she realizes that God has been outrageously gracious to her. The second thing she does is dedication. She dedicates the most precious thing she has to God. When Samuel, the asked-for child, has been weaned, which in practical terms means not only has he finished breastfeeding, but he's no longer physically dependent on her, Hannah gives him over to Eli, to the chief priest in the temple. And the passage makes the point of saying in verse 24 that Samuel was still young. And it's likely that he was probably between two and three years old. And the fact that we are specifically told the age of the bull being three years makes me wonder, it's only a supposition, but it's possible that the bull might have been born round about the same time as Samuel. And therefore, Samuel would have been about three. And Hannah goes to Eli and says, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord, and as long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. Hannah gives up her son to Eli to raise and dedicates him to God because the Lord heard her cry and answered her prayer. She loves God so much. She's so grateful to him that she gives him her only son. Doesn't that remind you of something? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. In giving up Samuel, Hannah is mirroring and foreshadowing something God had planned to do all along. Time and time again in the Old Testament, God in his word gives signs pointing towards the one who's coming, the one who was promised, the one who is ultimately God's plan for salvation for the whole world. Jesus, the ultimate king, is hinted again at in this story. Thirdly, Hannah worships. Not only does our passage end with the words that Samuel was to worship the Lord there in the temple, but Hannah, in response to God's goodness, worships God in a prayer. It's actually a beautiful song in chapter 2, but we'll come to look at that in detail next week. Thanksgiving, dedication, and worship. It's a model of how we can all respond to God's goodness to us as well. We can thank God for all his goodness to us, for our salvation 
in Christ. For our adoption as his sons and daughters. For our destiny, for our inheritance, which through Jesus is ours. And our thanksgiving and offerings should be as outrageously generous as Hannah's were. If we really recognize how outrageously generous and gracious God has been to us. We can rededicate ourselves to God's service for the rest of our time on this earth, just as Hannah dedicated Samuel for the rest of his life. And finally, we can worship. We can worship God as we respond to what Jesus has done for us. Can we have the band up? So we're going to spend a bit of time doing some of those things. There's going to be an opportunity to give thanks to God for his grace to us. We can spend some time rededicating ourselves to God. It's a good thing to do at the beginning of the year. And we can worship.